Good morning, everybody. We came in uh, late last night, so we, uh, we're in Alabama for uh, three days visiting uh, Charles. Charles is a guy that um, one of the first churches I was a pastor in. His dad was my mentor, and then Charles uh, came to this church to help us start this church, actually. Um, when we first planted, he came for about six months and helped us launch. And so we hadn't visited them since their wedding like five years ago. And so um, Clint, uh, we weren't going to be able to go if Clint won his soccer sectional games and they kept going in soccer. Like, so we were really torn over whether we should pray that he wins or pray that he loses. And we told him that, and, uh, but he lost the first game, so God will be done. Um, and so we... So we, we, uh, we, told, we told our friends, we're like, hey, we're coming to visit you last minute. Here we come. And, and it was a great, it was a whirlwind trip. We left late Wednesday night, got back late last night. And then uh, we started a little late here this morning because uh, when we walked in this morning, if you notice, if you have a moment, if you walk back through there, they've redone all the flooring. So it's no longer like that rock carpet that has holes in it. And it's really nice. It's like a really pretty epoxy, but... For some reason, when they sanded the floors, which I didn't know, I just got pictures saying, hey, the floor's done. Isn't this great? I'm like, yeah, that'll be awesome when we get there on Sunday. And they uh, didn't um, cover the air duct vents when they decided to polish the epoxy floor, which puts out really fine dust, like super fine dust. And so the entire building had a layer of like 16 inches of dust over the entire building. So... We were scrambling this morning to try to get the building ready for you all to be here. If you know anything about dust, when, even when you try to mop it, it just turns to mud. So it was a lot of fun, but we got started, and we're here. Uh, if you got your Bibles, turn Romans 8. Romans 8 is where we find ourselves this morning. You can go online, click on the scripture link as well um, with where we're at. And we're in the midst of our series, um, Not Ashamed of the Good News. Not Ashamed of the Good News. News, my clicker's not working, so, you're, sorry, it's not working, you're going to have to advance. Uh, Romans 1.1 is our theme verse, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of, for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for in it God's righteousness, what is right, is revealed from faith to faith throughout all of history, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In other words, to be righteous, it's not about living by works to try harder to be right. It's about living, placing your faith in God's ability to do that through you. And we're going to dive into that this morning because this morning what we're going to look at in the midst of our series is this. That we're not ashamed of God's will. Not ashamed of God's will. You see, if we're really honest, there are parts of God's story there are parts of the Old Testament, there are stories in Scripture that most Christians never read, never talk about, and hope no one asks them about. Because they're very, what we would call, hard parts of Scripture. We read them and think, how could God do that? Like, like how could a loving God do this or do that? Because see, what we do is we have a will of our own, and then we compare that to the God we want rather than the God who is. Let me say that again. We have a will of our own, and then we compare that to the God we want, not the God who is. So we're not really trying to find the God that is true most of the time, the God that 
really is the God of the universe, the creator in charge, all those things, what most of us and what most of humanity is really looking for is a God that works for them. But if you find a God that works for you, who's the boss? He's working for you. Not you are submitted to him. And so this struggle that you find when we get to this eighth chapter, and remember, Paul has been talking from chapter five all the way through chapter eight about death, about our need to die to our flesh, die to ourselves, to say not my will be done, but God's will be done. And, he, and he's talking about this wrestling. Chapter seven was all about wrestling with this, who I want to be, but I don't do it because I, I wanna do what I wanna do. And this constant battle that's within us, and quite honestly, we live in a culture and a Christian culture that tells us if you're having that battle, there must be something wrong with you. You must not be in the center of God's will if you're struggling, because if you were in the center of God's will, you wouldn't struggle. It'd be easy. You'd be full of joy. It'd be a piece of cake. Paul wrote chapter 7 and said, I'm a wretched man, and what I want to do, I don't do. Paul, I don't think you're more spiritual than Paul. I'm sorry, I don't. I don't think I am either. And yet Paul writes and says, this God's will thing is hard it, it, because I don't want to die. I don't want to give up my rights. I don't want to give up my will to have his will. I just want his will to be my will. My will be done. Oh, and, and I hope that's your t will too, God. Oh, let me search through the scriptures and find a verse that backs up what I already believe that is my will so then I can tell you what your will is because I found a verse completely out of context that I don't even care about the history around it or what it means, but I'm going to grab it and say, you have to do that or I'm done with you. I'm out of here. You prove yourself to me instead of God, you've already proven yourself. You're the creator of the universe and I surrender to you. And that's what Paul's getting to when we look in this chapter, in chapter 8 of Romans. This is a chapter that a lot of people struggle with, that the church throughout history has fought with this chapter and some of the things that it teaches. But can I be honest with you? The reason this chapter is so hard for us and the reason it's been so hard for the church for so long is we can't stand to have a God that gets to do what he wants. We can't stand it. He needs my approval. He better do it the way I see it. And if he doesn't, then I'll go find another God. Thank you very much. And so when you read chapter 8, and we're going to bump up against some hard things, you have to understand that God's will means it's his will. The question is, are we in his will or are we asking him to be in our will? And that's what I wrestle with every single day, and I know it's what you And so he goes on to say in Romans 8, chapter 1, we looked at this last week, he reminds us that therefore there is now no condemnation. No condemnation exists for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the Spirit's law of life, keep going, Coda, one more. The Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So in other words, when you come to know Christ, when you say, God, I don't want my flesh anymore, I don't want my will, I don't want to be an earthly being and only an earthly being, I want there to be a spiritual thing going on in my life. I, I want to surrender to the, to the reality of the spiritual world, then, and we do that by placing our faith in Jesus, which Paul has been writing about now for eight chapters. What happens is we decide we're going to live by the spirit, the law 
of the spirit, not the law of the earth. And the Old Testament is all the laws of the earth. They're important. They're true. They're good for us to know. But they don't save us. They just expose how messed up we are. They put us in a place where we're like, I can't do God's will. I don't know what to do. And that's where God sends in his spirit to say, if you know me, there's no condemnation for you. I'm trying to get you to see who I am, to understand my will, to have a relationship with me, to love me. And I want you to know that I'm not looking to condemn you. We're already condemned. And we looked at that last week. Jesus said that in John 3, 6, or John 7, 3, 17 and 18. John 3, 16 is for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then he goes on to say, and the reason that's true is because you're all already condemned. We're in a world that's already, all of us are going to die. And so Paul writes that. Verse 2, he says, because the Spirit's law and life in Christ Jesus has set you free from this law, from I have to do what I want to do. No, you don't. You have a scripture now. You have a God on your side now. You have a family, a heavenly family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been deposited in your heart as a down payment to help you wrestle with and free you from this sin and death so that you can live a real, alive, beautiful, incredible life for his will. He goes on, he says, the Spirit testifies, verse 16, together with our spirit that we are God's children. In other words, sometimes you mess up as a kid. And you're worried, like, Dad's not going to let me live in the house. He's going to hurt me. He's going to... But if you know that you're your parent's child and you know they love you, then there should be an ability to confess to them and know that they might discipline you, they might, there might be consequences, but that they love you, and that's why they're doing it. And so he says, that's what the Spirit does. It testifies with our spirit. And if we're children, then we're also heirs. In other words, as kids, you know that someday when mom and dad pass away, you're going to get their stuff. And for some of you, that scares you to death, right? Same for me. Mom and dad are going to pass away and I get all their stuff. Can you please go through your stuff before you pass away? (laughs) I don't want all your stuff. Please get rid of it. We got enough stuff, right? But it's the same thing that I know that that once Christ died on my behalf, that I'm becoming a co-heir with him. That that, that I am now a co-heir with Christ, but not yet. It's already I'm a co-heir, but not yet. And then he says, look, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may be also glorified with him. In other words, you suffer with the family. Everybody got to be in the car together yesterday. Everyone. For seven and a half hours. There was problems with digestive tracts in the car and windows happened to be rolled down. and There were like shoes coming off and being like, ah, put your shoes back on. Like, like you suffer with the family because you're together and we're kind of nasty people. We all are. We're just, you know, you get impatient with one another and like, it's just bad. Like, it's the way, and that's what he's saying, look, if you're a part of the family, there's a sense of sometimes you you suffer with the family, but you know it's worth it because you've seen the end result of what happens to the family. You know that Christ comes back to life from the dead, goes to heaven, and he's making a place for you. And so there's this sense of, well, I'm going through it like every other Christian through history and like Jesus went through it, but you know what? There's nothing real unique to me. It's just what the family goes through. And 
When you're a family that, that stands up to the, to the rest of the world and lives a different life and the rest of the world feels convicted by that, that they don't want God to be glorified. They want their will to be done, not God's. And then he goes on, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. It's so worth it to be a part of a church family. It's so worth it to be a part of the Trinity family. It's so worth it to be a part of this this thing called a relationship with God. It's so worth it because all the mess we go through doesn't compare to what we know is true in Scripture if we read and even the end of the book that we have. And that's faith. Galatians 4 says it this way. When the time came to completion... God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Do you believe that God loves you so much That because of the relationship with Christ, him dying for your sins, him adopting into your family, that he someday is going to allow you to to receive all the benefits of the family, but not yet. Because he's still working on you. Because he knows if he gives you all the benefits of the family now, you'll misuse them. Perfect example. I'm driving yesterday. Driving is something I struggle with. And God and I have a lot of discussions when we drive. Not because of God, but because of other people that God needs to work on because I'm a perfect driver. No, I'm just kidding. Like... (laughs) And so, so we're driving, and if I had, I'll be honest, if I had God's power, if God said, I'm going to give you all the power and ability that, that, that you'll have maybe someday, like the ability to, to do things, to ask, and it happens, and, and all of that, I would have a clear pathway to get to Alabama, and other people would have a lot of problems, because I'd be like, pew, 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 don't hurt them. Okay, the airbags went off, they're fine. And I mean, that's, that's, that's your heart, that's my heart. I want an easy path, I want a clear path. And God's like, that's why I haven't given you that authority yet, Matt. That's why I haven't done that for you yet, is because I know what you'll do if you get the full power and you're not ready to handle it. And so you need to learn how to live for me, waiting for me to come through for you. Not you get to be the genie that has the lightning bolts and you demand from God because I guarantee you, you'll you'll use that selfishly if you don't know my will. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 12, 47. Someone told him, look, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to speak to you. But he replied to the one who who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards the disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that person is my brother, sister, and mother. He's like, you guys think that this is about birth. Like, Abraham, you descended from Abraham. Well, my parents were Christians, and and I deserve this because I came from this family or that family, or they don't. And God's like, whoever does my will, and what's God's will? God's will is for us to surrender our hearts to Jesus. We'll see this in a second. Jesus says that. Like, that's his will, is for us to surrender our wills to his. And when we do that, we can know that we're acting like a good brother and a good sister. That we're walking with him. You see, everybody wants special treatment. They don't want, we're all family. It's like, I want to be in charge of the family. 
I want the family to do what I want it to do. And God's like, I want you to do what the family's already agreed to do. That's the Trinity, and that's why we have his word. Jesus, in this same passage, goes on to talk about the fact that they didn't understand who he was. You don't understand that I'm starting a new family by adoption. You don't understand who I am, and it's causing you to be very confused about what God's will is, so much so that they end up crucifying him. Romans 8 goes on to say, now this is the hope we are saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? In other words, do we really believe that there's something coming, that we're co-heirs, that there's something, spirit, that we're hoping for that someday, that we're, or do we want it now and I deserve it now? Because if that's your heart, then you're not having faith, you're having selfishness. And he goes on, he says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. How about we just eagerly wait for it? I don't like that with patience part. But he says, no, with patience. We're patient to be told what to do, to obey God, to do what he wants us to do. And then he goes on and he says, in the same way, the spirit also joins to help our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. So when you're groaning and you're asking God, God, I want what you want and I'm fighting it, you are actually inviting the Holy Spirit to groan for you. The heavenly, you've got a brother, a sister coming alongside you and being like, I'm with you, but I'm fighting with you. I'm here with you. That's what he's saying. And then it goes on, it says, and he who searches the heart knows the spirit's mindset. In other words, if we will search out the heart of God, we will walk in the spirit. We'll know what the spirit wants and we'll know what God's will is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so if we search for the heart of God, we'll understand what the will of God is. We'll understand that he intercedes for the saints and he does it according to God's will. That it is God's will. You know, we want hope in these earthly bodies, not the glorified bodies, okay? So I want hope in fill in the blank. But I don't want hope in the spiritual fill in the blank. So it's like, I really want this body to be well, to look great, to never hurt, to never be in pain, to not die. And God's like, all of those things will definitely happen. I've told you in my word, amen. However, there is a body you can hope for that you will have someone someday that will never hurt, that will never cry, that it will be perfect. And you will love it. And you will use it to glorify me at every moment. And we're like, well, that's fine, but could I get that now? No, you don't get it now. You're not gonna have that body now. It's not gonna happen. And even if you do get that body, you know what you're gonna do with it? Probably like Samson did. Remember the story of Samson? Samson had the greatest body of any man ever, the strongest man ever. He, he had the body, the man. He, all power and authority was his. He could slay entire armies. He was so strong and untouchable. Like, and what did he use it for? His own pride, his own selfish pleasure. And God humbled him. He had his eyes gouged out, his hair cut off, which was his strength. He got on a grinding wheel, and we don't know how many years he ground grain. And as he was grinding, his hair was growing out, and 
Eventually the Philistines forgot to cut it off and it grew back out and he comes to a place where he cries out and he says, God, give me the strength now to do what you commanded me to do a long time ago, which was to fight against these Philistines. Give me the strength now to push down these pillars so this stadium falls and this evil is gone. And God gives him the power. You want to know why Samson could do that at that point? Because he figured out that this body that I have is done. I got a new body coming. God, give me the strength with this body to do your will in it until it's done, and then I'll get a new one. Samson finally figured it out. And that's why he could do it. It wasn't he's committing suicide and, you know, no, he's like, I should have been sacrificing this body all along, and I used it for my own selfish pleasure. It's time for me to do what you've called me to do. And I trust you with it. If God wanted to, God could have saved Samson's body. He could have popped up out of the rubble and been like, I'm good. Hey, we're good. He didn't. And it's the same with us. If God wants to heal us, if he wants to do whatever, he can do it. But there's a spirit that groans with us. And he says it's the spirit's mindset. So what does the spirit's mindset look like? Look at this. Because if you don't have the spirit's mindset, you're going to have a hard time knowing God's will. You're going to be ashamed when you read scripture of what was God's will because you're not going to have the mindset of the spirit and eternity. You're going to look at earthly things. And when you're trying to explain things to people from an earthly standpoint, you're not going to know how to do it because it's not going to seem good to them. And you know if you say it, it won't seem good to them. So you just don't say it. So how are we not ashamed of God's, look at what John says, or when, what Jesus says in John. John says in chapter 15, verse 26, when the counselor comes, the one I will send, Jesus says, from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You will also testify. That means to, to say what's true, to say what you've experienced, to say what's in the scriptures, because you've been with me from the beginning. This is what he tells the disciples. So the spirit of truth, look at this, comes from the Father, and he testifies about the Father, or he testifies about Jesus. The Holy Spirit does not glorify itself. Let, let me repeat that again. The Holy Spirit, according to scripture, does not glorify itself. The Holy Spirit lives, eats, breathes, doesn't really, but is alive, is active to testify about Jesus, the Messiah, Yahweh who saves. That's his job. It's not to look at the Spirit. Look at what the Spirit can do. Look at all the magic things. Look at the, the things I can say. Look at all the miracles I can make happen. The Spirit does not do that. He is a counselor who comes to counsel with you. A lot of times, to be honest with you, I don't like counseling. You want to know why I don't like counseling? Because I've already made up my mind. Don't confuse me. Don't challenge me. I've already got this figured out. I don't need you to counsel me. And if you do, you're going to tell me something I probably don't want to hear and point me to scriptures that challenge me a little bit. And I'd rather just live in my nice little comfy Psalm 23 over my toilet and sit in there and read a book. And the Spirit comes to counsel with us, and he says it's going to be sent to you. It's a gift so that he'll testify and help you see more about Jesus, more about who God is in the Scriptures, more about what he's done. And as you see that, get, you ready for this? You can't help but tell other people. It's like, 
wow, I, I got to tell somebody. Like, I didn't know this, and he came alongside me, and he helped me. I, I got to tell people about who God is, not about all the stuff he's given you. It doesn't say he's going to come and give you stuff. He's the gift giver. No, he's not. He's the counselor. And yet we'll brag about all the stuff God's given us, but we won't brag about what he's taught us, about who he is. And that's the primary job of someone who understands God's will. John 16, Jesus says this, verse 1, I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. In other words, he says, they'll ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father. They don't know the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you may remember I told them to you. In other words, I made God's will clear. I didn't hide it. I didn't sugarcoat it. I I told you what God's will is. I told you this would be hard. I told you that if you know me, you're going to be treated like me. I didn't hide any of the information from you. So why are you so upset when things aren't going your way? What information did you believe and who did you trust? Because it must not have been me because this is what I told you was going to go down. And you're acting like it's shocking. He goes on and he says, but I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you may remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. In other words, I've told you over time. I've counseled you over time. I've revealed these things to you over time. Like a family, you're an infant, you grow to be a two-year-old, you grow to be five. I'm counseling, I'm growing you. And then he says, nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you what God's will is. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin. There's another thing the Holy Spirit's going to do. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of our sin. Nothing breaks my heart more than to sit across the table from someone and to talk to them about their life and them just cross their arms and just say no. It just breaks my heart. It doesn't make me mad. It just is like, you're not hearing from the Spirit. Like, I'm concerned for your soul. And he goes on and he says, when he comes, he'll convict the world about sin. He'll tell us what's right, righteousness, and he'll tell us about what a good judgment is. He says, about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you'll no longer see me, so you'll need to know what's right because I'm not here to say, stop it, Peter. (laughs) Stop it, John. Quit fighting, (laughs) which is what Jesus did all the time. I was taking a nap. You woke me up. But there was a big storm. Did you pray? No. He's like, well, I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to send a counsel that's inside you that does that. Instead of you having to wake me up, he's always going to be awake messing with you. That's what I'm going to send. And then he goes on and he says, and I'm about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but I can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. Look at this. The Holy Spirit is not out there doing like Holy Spirit stuff. Just like we can't go out there and do God's will stuff if it's not God's will. 
And there are a bunch of people running around slapping God's will on things. They never ask God if it was his will. They never ask, they just, they just do it. And I found a scripture verse that said to do it, and so I'm doing it. The Spirit's like, um, what should I tell them? I only want to say what you want me to say, family. I don't want to misrepresent the, the, the Trinity, so let's agree. Okay, that's what I'm going to say. Versus us, most of us, we just run with our mouth and say whatever we want and hope it's God's will. Versus taking the time to be patient to go after God's will and counsel people in it. He goes on and he says, he will glorify me. In other words, the Holy Spirit doesn't glorify himself. He doesn't say, look at the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's here, look what it's doing. You know, whenever somebody says, oh, the Spirit was just in this place today, I'm like, and he wasn't yesterday? Like the Holy Spirit isn't there to show off. He's there to glorify Christ. And it's amazing to me how often people will say, oh, the Spirit was really there. Why? Because people were emotional. Can I just tell you that the Bible's clear that there is sorrow that leads to repentance and there is sorrow that leads to hell. There is, there is godly sorrow and there is earthly sorrow that makes no difference. It's just you're sad and depressed. Doesn't change you. And he's looking and he says, everything the Father has is mine, Jesus says. This is why I told you, he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. The Spirit will. In John 14, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. <laughs> Not temporary, forever. And he says, he is the Spirit of truth. There it is again, the truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and, and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. In other words, it's time for me to go and I'm turning over the reins of what I did on the earth to you. You go do it. He says, I'm coming to you. In other words, I'm coming someday. But the counselor of the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've told you. In other words, he's going to teach us scripture. It's hard to be reminded of something you've never been told. Hey, did you do that? Do what? You know, did you fix that thing I told you to fix? Did you tell me? Oh, I'm sure I did. You ever had that fight in your house? No, you didn't tell me. I would have written it down and put a reminder on my phone because <laughs> I need reminders. It's like he's going to come and he's going to remind you of everything I've told you, not just the parts you want, but all of God's will. Ephesians 5 says this about the Spirit. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. The, the, the days try to steal our time, steal our joy, steal our relationships. The enemy wants to keep us busy so we don't think about the God, the, the, the holy family, the church, his body. Keep us busy thinking about everything else in life. He says, but making the most of time because they're evil, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. It takes work to understand what God's will is. You have to take time to ask, to be with him, to read. And don't be foolish, but understand. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, this is what it might look like to be filled fully with the Spirit. You're going to speak to one another in Psalms. 
How do you speak a psalm? Do you just come up with one? Like you just like Psalm, you know, 100 and or 201 by Matt Shockney. Here it is. I'm writing scripture today. Here's my psalm for you. If you're going to speak in the psalms, you have to know the psalms. And then he says, hymns. How do you know what hymns are? Because you sing them together and you know the hymns. And then he says, in spiritual songs. Now this is where it gets kind of like, well, a hymn is kind of an approved song of the church, but a spiritual song is one that like I sing in my heart. I can share with other people. Yes. And then he goes on, he says, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. He doesn't say necessarily making music publicly. Some of you don't need to make music publicly. It's just not your gift. It's fine. There are things I don't need to do that I don't have the gift to do. But we're to make it in our heart. And we're supposed to share that with other people and not be ashamed to share it. And just because I'm not good doesn't mean I get a pass. I'm supposed to be singing to God his praises. That's his will. And I better pay careful attention to my day because I don't know about you, but most days my focus is not on how do I just keep singing praises to God today. It's mainly how do I just get through the day. And that's to my detriment. And God's like, I just want to spend time with you. I want you to sing my praise and then I'll hug you and we'll have a relationship. Because if you're singing my praise, then you're not singing your own praise, which means other people will sing my praise, and everybody's focused in the right direction. First Corinthians says this, don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary and the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone destroys God's sanctuary, God will destroy him. For God's sanctuary is holy, and that's what you are. In other words, God closed the sanctuary of the Old Testament, and he moved it to the human heart. That no longer is the spirit in the holy of holies, it's in the human heart. He goes on and Paul writes in 619, don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Say, body, you're going to do God's will today, body. We're not going to do our will today. Nope, not doing it. We're doing his. I have to have that conversation with my body all the time. Because my body likes what's easy and comfortable. Like, my body would like to sleep in (laughs) and stay up late (laughs) and eat whatever I want (laughs) late at night. And I go through a lot of Tums. Like, I'm sitting, like, because I'm old. And you can't do that the older you get. Your body's like, you dummy. He goes on to say this in Romans, and this is why I lay all this out about the Spirit, because if you don't get this part, this part doesn't make sense, because then Paul says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Who do you love? Because Jesus said, if you love God, you'll want to do his command. If you love yourself, you'll want to do what you want what you command, and you'll want others to do what you command. You won't ask others to do what God asks. You'll ask others to do what you ask. 
And he looks and he says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are striving to have a relationship with him, who want to obey him and know that it's only through the the power of the Holy Spirit that I can obey him. Those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, whose purpose are you living for? Whose priorities? Whose values? What's the end game for you? Paul says, all things work together for those that have the end game of a new body, a heaven. Like they, they die to themselves. That's the end game. Jesus says it this way. The Pharisees and Sadducees approached and, te- and asked him, and as a test, asked him to show them a sign from heaven. In other words, show some spiritual stuff. He answered them. When evening comes, you say it will be good weather because the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy because the sky is red and threatening. You know how to read the appearance of the sky, but you can't read the signs of the times. You can't read what's obvious about spiritual things around you, he says. Then he goes on, he says, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. You know what the sign of Jonah is? Death. Get swallowed by a fish for not doing what God wants, not doing his will, and the fish three days later spits you back up and you still have to do God's will. That's the sign of Jonah. (laughs) Do God's will. (laughs) Like, it's the resurrection. It's new life. Even when you don't do what God says to do, God still loves you enough to put you in a fish to help you think about it and will give you new life. And he says an evil and adulterous generation is constantly looking for spiritual stuff. We have the Bible. It's the most spiritual thing ever written. It is the truth, and the counselor comes to reveal the truth of the Bible. It is the word of God that shows who he is. In Mark 8, it says, if, Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I think a better way to translate that today is, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must like himself, must take up his Bible and grab a latte. Because that's what I see on Facebook all the time. And I can be just as guilty. I don't want to die. I don't want to lay down my life. I'd rather show how I'm comfortable sitting in a coffee shop and I have a wonderful cup of coffee with a nice look at what the little guy made and he made it so pretty on top. And it's like a little leaf with a little dot on top. And I'm reading the Bible and so... I'm not saying you can't spend time with God and grab a latte. That's not what I'm saying. But it's like Jesus looks and says, you have to pick up your cross. This is hard, but it's worth it. And then he says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel, that's the good news that we're talking about, will save it. For what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his life? To know the whole Bible and to have every latte you ever could want, but still not have life, abundant life in him. Then he goes, whoever is ashamed of me, or what can man give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, remember we're talking about not ashamed, whoever's ashamed of me and my words, my will, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man also will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father with his holy angels. That panics me a little bit. I have to read that verse and then jump back to Romans and remember there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm trusting you, praise the Lord, because that scares me. Because 
There have been moments when I haven't said what I needed to say and I was ashamed. I haven't spoken up and done what I needed to do. And I'm grateful that there's grace and there's forgiveness, but there also needs to be admission. He goes on and he says this in Romans, for those he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. This is the verse Christians love to fight about because they don't read the context leading up to it. Who gives a rip if God predestines or not? It's not your call. He's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. If you don't like that, you don't understand who your father is and his control of the family. If you look and go, well, I just can't believe in a God that, you know, predestines. Really, so can, so can you believe in a family that chose one child over a bunch of other childs to adopt in Africa? Or do you look at that family and say, you bunch of scumbags. Didn't adopt all the kids in Africa, just picked one of them. I can't believe in a family. I can't believe, that's not good. That's not, that's ridiculous. Sounds pretty ridiculous, doesn't it? See, we make choices every day. God's will choices. We try to determine his will and make choices every day. And it's like God doesn't get to do that. I don't know if God predestines from the beginning and the foundation of the world. I don't know. He hasn't told me that. I'm not God himself. He's told me that these are some of the things he's done. There's been arguments theologically about what these verses mean and what the word predestined and later the word elect means and all these things. That's fine. I don't need to fight about it because if God is my dad and he's in charge, what do you want, dad? Can we adopt them? No, we're not adopting them. We already adopted you and your four siblings. We're done for a little bit. Well, well, I'm out of this family. It's just so ludicrous that we fight about these things. When God says, I've made so much of my will known, and you guys will struggle and fight and curse one another because there's something that you don't know, that you may not be able to fully understand. Versus saying, he chose me. And according to scripture, my job is to go out and tell people that I have a father that wants to adopt them. And it's not my call to know who is and who isn't out. It's just my job to go out and tell the family, come on in. It's my job to look at kids that in the family that aren't doing the right thing and say, why are you doing that? That's, that's not what dad wants. And if you keep doing it, I think dad's going to have a problem with that. And, and it doesn't show that you understand that you're a part of this family. It shows that you're like fighting the family and that doesn't make sense to me. You see, that's why this verse, it says, look, God does it all. He justifies, he glorifies. It's him. That's why we need the spirit. If we don't have the spirit, we can't do anything. Then he goes on and he says this. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says this. He says, finally, brothers, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus. In other words, in Yahweh, who is Yahweh, who saves, that you have received from us how you must walk and please God as you are doing. In other words, he says, you're doing a pretty good job. Do so more, for you know the commands, what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is God's will, your sanctification. Stop. That's God's will, for you to become more like the family, more like him. That's God's will. 
Period. And then he says, you abstain from sexual immorality. Why does he pick this one? Because there's nothing more using of yourself and your body and other people's body than sexual immorality. It is the thing that uses yourself and uses other more than any other act on the face of the planet. That's why he picks this one. He's like, you guys are struggling with sexual immorality in this Thessalonian church, and, and it shows because it means you're using one another. You're looking to get from one another, or you're looking to give your body to someone to get something you don't think you have from God. That is not sanctification. Then he goes on and he says, so that each of you knows how to control his body in sanctification and honor of God, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who don't know God. And then Paul wraps up chapter 8, and he says, what then are we to say about these things? So Paul says, I've just talked to you about death and justification and sanctification. I've talked to you last week about condemnation. I've laid all these big words out for you. I, I've been, so what are we to say about all these things? Do, in other words, do we really believe these things? And then he says, if God is for us, who is against us? Well, but there's a lot of people against us. Not really. They're not against you. They're against him. And if you're acting like him, they're against him in you, which is the Holy Spirit. He goes on, he did not even spare his own son, but he offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? He'll grant us everything. Exactly. That's why I pray he gives me everything, even my new body now. <laughs> no. He will eventually, with great patience, Paul says, grant us everything. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect, against those God has adopted? God is the one who justifies. You can't go and say, oh, well, they did this. God's going to be like, yeah, and that goes on my son. And I'll talk to him about it because I love him. And I'm going to send some people to talk to him. Hey, stop it. I love you. We don't do that. And if they don't stop, then I'll do more to stop them and more to stop them. And God keeps doing more to stop them until, for some people, God just takes them out. He'll take them out of this world. The, the scriptures are clear on that. He goes on and he says this, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. So not only is the Holy Spirit interceding for us in our inward body, but literally the Holy Spirit is like interceding and talking to Jesus in heaven who's taking it to the heavenly father. Wow. What a family. They care that much about me. Goes on and it says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? In other words, you should expect those things. <laughs> They're not going to separate you though. As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. It wasn't me. It was him who loved me, who adopted me. And then he goes on and Paul says in verse 38, I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Holy smokes, he could have ended the book there. <laughs> 
Paul could have been like, and full stop, mic drop, walk away. Like, he's got some more to say. But I love that Paul comes to this place and he's like, what are you persuaded to believe? Are you persuaded to believe that death will separate you? Are you persuaded that the life that you have isn't the life you want and so you're persuaded that he doesn't care about you? Are the present circumstances or the things you have or don't have in your life, do they persuade you not to believe in him? When you get hostile pressure around you, do you just say, well, God must not love me? Or do you believe that the God Paul lays out and he gives this gift to the Holy Spirit loves you so much, he's like, I want to work with you. Listen, I don't know where exactly all of you are in your spiritual life. Some of you may be infants. Some of you may be two-year-olds where you throw a lot of tantrums. Some of you may be five and you're like going to school the first time and learning and like growing. Some of you are like teenagers. Uh, oh, no, I'm just kidding. Like some of you, some of you are, are like early, young adults and you, you, know, you think you know so much and dad's just shaking his head being like, oh, I hope they survive. Like, and some of you may be very mature in your faith and excited to, to know him and one day be with him. It's a process we go through that God says, I will not let you be separated. I'm coming after you because I love you and I've placed the Holy Spirit and that is my will. That's my will. And man, we should get fired up about that. That there is a God who says, my will is you, is a relationship, is a love relationship, so that you will then do my will to glorify me and tell others about me. That's what this is about. God didn't have to create us. He didn't have to die for us. He didn't have to do anything that he did, but he did it all. And Paul says, man, I am persuaded. I am so persuaded that this, I, nothing can separate. Maybe some of you are thinking, and even those that are tuning in, that, well, God doesn't love me anymore. You don't know what I've done. I've done something so bad and my heart is so hard. There's no way he could forgive me or love me. That's a lie. It's not what scripture says. Not at all. Scripture says that God, you have breath in your body that you have the opportunity to glorify him. You have the opportunity to surrender to him. And if you feel like he's tugging at you, man, now's the time to do that. Just be like, I'm, I surrender. I confess. <laughs> and if I know I can't be separated, then that sin can't separate me. That, this can't separate me. But I also know that if I separate myself, you're going to call me back into things that are hard. Because you love me. Because <laughs> that's what Jesus did. He came into things that are hard. He gave his life. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning and your word. Thank you for the truths of this scripture and who you are. I thank you that you love us enough to give us this book, to give us your word, to inspire Paul to write this and to work with his personality and who he was and his experience to tell the story, the testimony about you. And Lord, I thank you that you do that for each one of us. You work in us so that we can tell the testimony of who you are from the scripture, from what's true about you. And Paul is writing most of this in light of the Old Testament. He's communicating what's true in the Old Testament and now what is true because of the fulfillment of what's happening. 
Father, help us to grow like that. Help us to see that you love us, that there is a heavenly family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work to draw men to yourself and that we get to be a part of that with you. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone listening, tuning in, or someone here that's just struggling, I pray they would take these verses to heart. They wouldn't believe the lies of the enemy, but they would believe that your will is for them to know you and that you are Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. Lord, that's your heart. It's always been your heart, and may we surrender ourselves to you. May we embrace and accept your free grace comes through the payment that Jesus made. And may we understand that when we do that, you indwell us, you put the Holy Spirit in us to begin the work of sanctifying us to do your will. Man, what what a family, what a privilege. We thank you. Amen.